Welcome to the epme.me show where we get into the details of all things heart, rhythm and ECG related with the best minds in cardiac electrophysiology hosted by David Ornstein. Hi and welcome to the epme.me show. Um, my name's David Orenstein. Um, as you can see on my slides, uh, if you're not listening to the podcast and you're watching the videos, there's a lovely picture of me and I'm really, really excited. Over the last few months, I've been really working on setting up epme.me to be a primary, primary source of education and knowledge in EKGs and everything electrophysiology, whether it's devices or whether it's electrophysiology and arrhythmia. It's all very, very important to me and I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you. Now, before I get started, let me just explain the platform and how this uh, podcast, videocast is going to work. Um, I hope to be recording and releasing every single week a episode where we'll be looking into different cases, whether it's to do with devices or electrophysiology or maybe just on EKGs themselves and also some stuff talking about innovations. We have some great ideas. I'm hoping to have some guests uh, come and join me on the show and I'm really, really, really looking forward to sharing the knowledge with you. Um, please feel free to stop by my website and sign up. There will be a newsletter coming to together and there's a little gift waiting for you which I'll discuss with you at the end of this episode. So what's the best way to start a uh, really a uh, educational platform for electrophysiology is really working out what are we doing and why am I asking this? Because nowadays, as electrophysiology is growing and growing and the number of devices, pacemakers, defibrillators are growing and growing, people are slowly subspecializing into electrophysiology and into devices. And before we start and start discussing in future episodes about different cases about electrophysiology or devices, I constantly ask myself, are we breaking this up too much? Is this a sub-subspecialism? Now, before that, when did the whole idea of subspeciality really come about? So, all of this comes actually way back when to the medieval times where medicine and surgery were divided up into two different subjects. Medicine was performed by the learned professional and surgery was actually performed by the bone setters and uh, carried out by tradesmen and barbers. It was more of a vocation rather than medicine which was about curing people through diseases, from diseases, through medicines and through uh, therapies. So already back in the medieval times, we were divided into medicine versus surgery. But really, the subspeciality as we know it today came about in the early 20th century in the USA. And uh, as I said, I'm talking here with slides. If you want, you can follow uh, through the links in the notes of the show and uh, look at my blog post. I have some pictures uh, from the key slides and also in the uh, notes uh, in the video of it on uh, the video uh, version of the show. But let me get back to the show. Early in the 20th century is when we really had the first division as we know it of specializing. And where did it happen? It happened in ophthalmology, the eyes, and pediatrics, children. 
where they had their own examination boards and their own methods of studying and speciality in those particular fields of medicine. Now, I'm talking about electrophysiology. So what do we have? We have medicine. We have a speciality in internal medicine. We have a sub-speciality in cardiology. And now we have a sub-sub-speciality in electrophysiology. How far should this go? How far should we really be breaking this down? Should we be going further and having a sub-sub-sub into devices and electrophysiology? Where does it end? Where does it stop? So let's look at the pros and the cons, the plus size and the negative size of subspecializing. So when it comes to subspecializing, let's start with the positive side. So if we look at it in the education form, well, whilst we're striving for excellence and studying and subspecializing, we're actually hoping to gain control in something, and maybe dare I even say, mastery in the body of knowledge that we're subspecializing in, whether it's devices, whether it's ablations and electrophysiology, whether it's EKGs, we're trying to gain control. What does that allow us? Well, it allows us academic progress. In a world where niche is key, where you don't just go to a restaurant to have a cup of coffee, you go to a coffee shop and you have specialized niche coffee shops. So where niche is key, if someone is sub-specialized in devices, they'd be able to progress academically within that field. And then even further, scientific progress. You can have scientific progress in the field where the industry has a tight grip on progress, it allows you to push forward scientifically and maybe control the industry and have a doctor maybe decide where or point the industry in which way it should go by our own personal scientific progress through our niche and subspecializing understanding of the field. Well, not only does it affect us educationally, but also economically. If we're subspecializing, we're being able to focus on performing procedures that are maybe more lucrative. For example, if we are being able to work and perform procedures, certain implantations of devices, and we get a high level of proficiency in it because we're subspecialized or sub-subspecialized in it, well then, we're being able to work at it at a higher level and maybe even also quicker. And therefore, it can be more lucrative or we can specialize in what's lucrative. In another way though, we can also have pay based on performance health system. Believe it or not, the Portuguese health system I've heard have a pay based on performance depending on how well doctors perform in procedures or in the field of medicine is their pay grade. Well, therefore, there's definitely a pro to sub-specializing because your performance will be better at what you do better, at what you're sub-specialized in. And then again, also in the economic field, is discussing accountability. Nowadays, accountability is key. Malpractice insurance, damage settlements, they are all key to people working in the medical system and to the patients. 
they want to know that their doctor performing the procedure is specialized in that procedure. And if the doctor isn't sub-specializing the procedure, well, is it possible that he could lay vulnerable to being sued? That's all potential. Now let's look at the pros of sub-specializing from the patient. Well, with the patient, he can guarantee that he's getting the best of care because he's going to a specialist in it. It's also best for the team. Think about it. Within the hospital team, you have one person specialized in devices and one person specialized in ablations and another one specialized in heart failure. You're offering a complete service with specialists. Isn't that better for the patient? And then think about the location. Well, wherever you are, wherever you're giving your service, well, if you're rural, you're filling a need by being a specialist. In certain rural locations, they lack specialists in devices, so they'll be able to fill a need. And if you're living in the more urban side, well, if you've got a specialist that's a top-notch specialist with the best experience, hey, it's more attractive. He can offer the best quality of service. So all of this is the pros of subspecializing. It sounds great. So tell me, are there any negative sides to it? Well, of course there is. Well, let's divide it up also, starting with education. With education, doctors are nowadays, because of these subspecializing, have to maintain specific board certifications. And each board certification has different requirements. And for different insurance companies, you'd need different board certifications and you need to renew those requirements and those exams. Yes, there's a positive side to that. However, rather than practicing medicine, doctors are having to invest time and money into all these different board certifications. Is it really that necessary? Should they be spending more time going to courses and doing exams than treating patients? Beyond that, when it comes to education, you're limiting yourself and your knowledge base. If you're subspecialized and all you do every day is ablations of atrial fibrillation or implantations of pacemaker and defibrillator devices, well, you're limiting yourself into a set knowledge base. You're a doctor. You studied medicine. Years ago, you knew more. You knew dermatology. You knew ophthalmology. You knew the basics. Well, the more you're subspecializing and daily and day to day just limiting yourself to your subspeciality, well, you're limiting yourself and your knowledge. You're deciding for yourself, potentially at the age of 20, 30, what you're going to be doing when you're 60 years old. Is that something that you want to limit yourself to? Is that limited knowledge base good for our patients? We'll get to that shortly. If we look at the economic side, more and more team members are necessary for treating the same patient. 
It's costing the medical systems. How many different cardiologists do you need to treat the same patient? Because one is a specialist in devices, one is a specialist in arrhythmia, one is a specialist in heart failure, one is an interventional cardiologist, and that's just cardiologists. These are complicated, complex patients. They have to have specialists for internal medicine and nephrology, maybe, or diabetes, or many th or neurology. How many team members are needed to treat the same patient costing the medical system and then go to the next stage we've got a duplication of these providers and tests in the community medicine versus the hospital medicine because they've got their device specialist or their cardiologist in the community and then when they have an acute flare-up of whatever they're going through they've got their their specialist in the hospital what's the communication like between all these doctors and these team members well let's look at it from the patient side who does he turn to who can he turn to because he knows what he's feeling but does he know is that because of my heart failure is that because of my heart rhythm? Is that because of my diabetes? Yes, I'm feeling dizzy, I'm feeling lightheaded. Do I turn to a neurologist? Do I turn to a cardiologist? Where do I go? The bigger the team members, the bigger the teams, I don't know where to turn to as a patient. Now, also maintaining communication between all these different medical providers. Who is it? Is it the family doctor, the general practitioner that tries to keep this group of doctors that treat individual patients together communicating? Is it the patient that has to make sure that his doctors are kept up to date with the different medicines that each doctor is providing? And then look at the location. Well, if someone lives rurally, how many clinics does he have to be a member of to get his complete picture? He's a person, he has many different systems that needs treating, especially the older he is. How many different clinics does he have to be attending because he lives rurally to get the complete picture treated? And if he lives urban, well, who does he choose? Which is the best? Is it this urban center the best for devices and this one's best for heart failure? Subspecializing isn't that clear-cut as being great for the patient. Not necessarily for the doctor, maintaining all these certifications and limiting himself potentially, and certainly not for the medical system. So then I go on and I say, we've got over-fragmentation of care with over-specializing. Where is the limit? So let's see, are there benefits? On my next slide, I just wanted to show actually a real study that happened. This wasn't in cardiology, it was actually in pediatric urology. And what did they check? The increased pediatric subspecialization is associated with decreased surgical complication rates for inpatient pediatric urology procedures. What is that basically saying? They decided to take over 71,000 patients. It's a nationwide inpatient sample based on pediatric urology patients. And they want to see who had the better surgical outcomes. They checked the post-operative and pre-operative complication rates. And they wanted to see if someone went to a subspecialist in pediatric urology, 
do they have less complications? Well, these 71,479 patients that were looked up at between 1998 and 2009 showed amazing results and results that we expected. First of all, specialization was not associated with race or gender or any comorbidities of other illnesses a patient has. It didn't affect the results. However, mortality dropped from 1.5% to 0.3%. Complication rate dropped from 15.5% complications, even minor complications, to 10%. That's a drop in over 5% of complications. The cost of procedure dropped from 4% extra to 2%. They actually thought that the cost of procedure might go up by seeing a subspecialist. But actually not. It dropped. Why? Because of the complications and the cost effects of the complications dropping. It meant the cost of procedures, when you look at it on the global scale, also dropped. So, to complete that up, how long did the patient stay in hospital? Well, as you can believe, the hospital length of stay was shorter by 5 to 10%. 5 to 10% shorter time in hospital. So, that's it. We're final, right? We should all be subspecializing, both as patients, both as medical people, both as doctors, nurses, technicians. We should be subspecializing. But is the grass really that greener? How far should we be going? Let's go back to us in electrophysiology, in the EKG world, the electricity of the heart, when we have devices and EP ablation subspecializing. Well, if we think about this, we have nowadays an increase of indications to have devices implanted. The number of people, therefore, receiving devices or ablations is going up. Now, due to these number of people going up receiving these treatments, as we can see, the devices are helping and the general improvement with the medical system in the modern world today, there's an increase in life expectancy and therefore there's an increase of burden of number of patients on personnel. So wait a second, maybe we should be sub-sub-specialising because we're getting more patients, longer life expectancy, more of a burden on personnel. Maybe really we should be sub-specialising in our world of device and electrophysiology ablations. Well, what are we checking in devices? In devices, we're checking many different things. We're checking technical measurements. We're checking worsening of heart disease. We're checking tachycardiac events, progression of different conduction of electricity disorders of the heart. Also nowadays, we can check respira respiration and ventilation disorders, fluid accumulation in the chest connected to the respiratory disorders, pacing dependency, therapies received, home monitoring, different devices and implantation techniques, and many, many, many more device diagnostic and therapeutic functions. That's a plenty to give us good reason to subspecialize. Well, in a P, is it the same there? Yes, 
more equipment, catheters, pacing maneuvers, diagnostic maneuvers, multiple mapping systems of different heart rhythm disorders, multiple recording and reporting systems, fluoroscopy systems, ultrasound systems. The list is endless emergency activities, different access and procedures and techniques. Yes, maybe we should be subspecializing in an EP ablations also. Well, if we look at a paper that was written, a very nice paper, I highly recommend it. It's called Specialization, Specialization, sorry, Specialization and Subspecialization and Sub-Subspecialization in Internal Medicine. Um, this was published in a very small journal, I'm joking, New England Journal of Medicine in 2011. And it says something very straightforward and I highly recommend reading this paper. I've got a clear reference to it also in my slides, which you can see in the video um, blog of this. It says the following. The progress of biomedical science continues to be a major factor in the emergence of new sub-specialities. Yep, you hear it. Advanced heart failure are examples including device management in the case of cardiology. Creation of these sub-specialities reflects the recognition that there are some specific populations of patients who would benefit from highly focused knowledge and skills obtained by additional training and certification. You're hearing it? It says straight out in the case of cardiology, with device management, we should be subspecializing and obtaining not only the, subs the knowledge, also the certification. It continues further on in the study, the Public Values Board certification. After all, you saw it really on my slides. I did the American board exams, the European board exams, the public values it. And then it continues and says, clear requirements for a large enough number of patients. So not only should we be subspecializing though, we should be doing it and being subspecialists in centers with large enough number of patients. Cause it's all well and good specializing in devices or ablations, but if you have too little number of patients, you shouldn't be doing it. And yes, I'm going to say something very politically incorrect, or maybe some people will agree with me it's politically correct. Maybe comment on this in the comments below. Centres that are doing extractions of electrodes of pacemaker devices, if you're not doing large enough number of patients, I am a firm believer that you shouldn't be doing it at all. You should leave it to the centres that have the experience. So yes, not only should we be subspecializing, but hospitals should also be subspecializing based on the patient volume. So let's go back to the question. Is the grass really greener in electrophysiology? Well, I'm a very firm believer. If you'll take time to water your own grass, it will be just as green. So depending on where you're at in your career and depending where you're at and where you're working, the size of your center and what they are performing and the patient population, yes, maybe you should be sub-specializing within electrophysiology. 
But that doesn't mean if you're in a small center that you can forget about ablations and arrhythmias because no, you still have to look at that side of things and you shouldn't forget about devices and device interrogations because doctors that just do arrhythmias and ablations all day and technicians and nurses that just deal with ablations all day, they don't remember the basics in devices. So, to sum it up, there's no right answer. Just like everything in medicine, there's no black and white answer. Should we be subspecializing? I'm a personal believer that we should be doing what we're doing best and offer the best service to our patients. Just to show the dangers of not subspecializing or doing something that you don't know how to do, is this, why was the pacemaker crying? It's a nice little mem. And it says, why was the pacemaker crying? The EP changed its sensitivity setting. <laughs> what is that saying? Someone that just deals with the EP, he could cause problems just by changing the sensitivity setting if he doesn't remember or know what he's doing. Well, the next picture, which you have to really see on the slides, is a doctor holding up a Pac-Man uh, card and showing a picture to a patient with a bandage on his chest and it says your new pacemaker includes pac-man game that gobbles up cholesterol in your arteries well pacemakers can't really gobble up cholesterol yet but they do have many uh, functions and we owe it to our patients to know how to use them so yes it might be difficult it might be scary we might feel that we're walking through what they say the value of the shadow of death but we cannot fear no evil. We have to invest in our education and really make sure that we know what we're doing because we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our patients. A quote from another paper, just to finish up, a paper called The Case for and Against Subspecialization in Family Medicine. Um, and this was a quote that they brought down by Robert Heinlein. I hope I said his name right. It says the following, a competent person should be able to, among other skills, change a diaper, balance accounts, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, co cooperate, act alone, solve equations, and analyze a new problem. Specialization is for insects. Hmm. So if we're competent, we should actually be able to do a whole list of things as long as it's stuff that we're doing regularly and we do it proficiently specialization is for insects it says it's for the small little insect well I want to bring another side to that and that's actually from probably what the Bible tells us is the wisest of all men Solomon King Solomon well he says go to the ant you sluggard you lazy person, go to the ant and consider her ways and be wise. In Proverbs, it says we should be considering the ways of the ants. So maybe we should be subspecializing. So the jury isn't out. I would love to hear from you guys what you think. If you're enjoying this podcast, please write comments below, like it, share it, give it thumbs up. And please also give me comments on what you would like to hear about. Thank you so much. I just want to tell you that next week and coming up, we're going to be talking about 
using devices in arrhythmia diagnosis over the next couple of weeks. Some really interesting cases coming through from devices and maybe there is a way of working with both together because at the end it's all electrophysiology. One final point. As I said, this is all part of epme.me. I want it to be an educational platform for you all in EKGs, in devices, electrophysiology, for all you out there, whether you're doctors, whether you're nurses, whether you're medics, whether you're technicians, this is for you. And part of it is this blog and this podcast. It will be available in written form, it will be available in video form, and it will be available also in audio form. So please go to epme.me and sign up. If you sign up today, you'll see you'll get the Swiss Army Knife of EKG Analysis Cheat Sheet. It's a cheat sheet that I put together, something that I wish I had when I started out doing uh, um, EKG analysis. It really is an ultimate one-page cheat sheet that's double-sided. You can print it off in A4, in letter, whatever the size is, and it's ready to use to help you analyze EKGs, which is the basis of it all. We're going to be having courses, we're going to be having workshops, we're going to be having webinars. Please keep in touch. Go to epme.me and sign up and get the ultimate EKG cheat sheet free today. Get it now. This is me, David Orenstein. It's been a pleasure to borrow your ears for the last close to 30 minutes. Thank you very much for your time and I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye. This episode has come to a close. If you would like to get the ultimate ECG cheat sheet free and more valuable content, as well as notes from this and other episodes, please go to epme.me and subscribe. If you like this episode, please subscribe to this show on iTunes. Leave a rating and review. We'll really appreciate it. And if you're watching this on YouTube, leave us a comment below with your thoughts and remember to hit the like and subscribe to our channel.